This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Hash. You are watching us here on Coindesk TV or you are listening to us on the Coindesk Podcast Network going across all the platforms everywhere for The Hash. So thanks for watching or listening. I am Zach Seward. I'm the Deputy Editor-in-Chief of Coindesk. I'm joined today by David Morris, Jen Sinassi, and Will Foxley. Will Foxley is going to start us off with some new inflation numbers. Will. Bad news for dollar holders everywhere. U.S. inflation jumped to a new high 8.5% in March. Of course, yesterday we saw that the Biden administration was sort of prepping everybody for this number. And I think a lot of people thought it might be over 10%. But clocks in at 8.5%. It's the highest in four decades. So last time inflation was as high was 1981. Core inflation jumped about 0.05%. So that is up as well. I think according to some analysts, it's not quite as high as they expected, but it, it, it's still up there. Core inflation takes out some things like food prices, like seasonal food prices, and it just looks at like uh, core things like energy. So across the board, we're seeing higher prices on everything. Like your dollar is worth less than it used to be in the past. Uh, for Bitcoiners, what we care about is how does Bitcoin react to this news? Basically flat. Bitcoin has been trading around 40,000 here for a little bit, up and down, down the stairs a little bit, then up, back up again. Doesn't really seem like the narrative is really like there together. That Bitcoin's price isn't going up with this uh, inflation headline. And this has been going on for months now, right? Like we've been seeing higher inflation numbers month over month for quite a few months. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't seem to care. Uh, maybe at some point it'll start to care. Zach, I'll throw it up to you and get your take on this. Yeah, I mean, at some point, just, yeah, this high inflation is here to stay and it becomes a real pain. It's it's not going anywhere, right? We eliminated the word transitory from the lexicon not long ago. I think there's a couple angles here, right? I think we're seeing Bitcoin correlate with the NASDAQ, so the, the tightest correlation we've ever seen on that front. So Bitcoin is increasingly trading like some other asset, some other securities, especially in the tech realm, right? Sort of similar approach that professional traders are viewing Bitcoin as. So that is partially to blame for some of the flat Bitcoin action. The other thing I want to mention is that, you know, there are people who are tracking inflation who say that this 8.5 figure may be on the low end, right? We did a story not long ago about a censorship resistant inflation index being built over on Chainlink, looking at a bit of different data rather than the consumer price index. And based on that, it was something like 13.3% inflation rate. So there are some out there who are especially attuned to this in the crypto world, who are looking at different ways to measure this. And by those measurements, inflation may be even worse than we're hearing from the government here at this point in time. So a lot of always interesting conversations around inflation definitely remains a topic of fascination for a lot of people in the crypto space for a variety of reasons. But yeah, sometimes this Bitcoin as an inflation hedge narrative doesn't really seem to be getting a lot of love. Well, it doesn't seem to be influencing the price very much relative to some of the other factors in the market. Jen, I saw your hand. Go. I saw David's go up first. So I'm going to knock oh, it up no. to you, David, and I'll take it afterwards. I know. Just being the nice Canadian I am, I got to let David uh, take his turn. Two things, I guess. One is like on the inflation hedge thing. There's been some sort of intellectual slippage, I guess I would say, in the Bitcoin discourse. The idea that Bitcoin is an inflation hedge is a theory that is sort of future forward and has always been. The idea is that eventually there will be enough Bitcoin adoption that it's spread all around the world. And it's not influenced by changes to the supply of any single national currency. We're not there yet, even according to the people who believe that this could eventually happen. 
the US dollar has the most influence over Bitcoin price. So the inflation decoupling has not happened yet. And people who are saying Bitcoin is an inflation hedge, don't trust those people. They're out over their skis. The second point that I wanted to make is, yeah, this is a bad number. However, it's worth pointing out that half of this inflation is due to changes in gasoline prices, according to Reuters. And as we know, it's not a complete correlation, but there are some disruptions in the fossil fuel markets right now because of the war uh, in uh, Ukraine. And so that's worth keeping in mind. Uh, and, and some people do see, obviously, this could stick around for a little while. But there have been some comments to the effect that this looks like a peak in U.S. inflation. That doesn't mean it's going to go to zero, but it might not go much higher from here. And also worth pointing out, we actually came up short of Wall Street projections on this number by about a tenth to a fifth of a percentage point. And that was enough to give us a little bump in the Dow Jones today because we came in under what some projections were. That's just the weird counterintuitive way markets work sometimes. It's a bad number, but it's not as bad as we thought. So we're going to celebrate. Okay, now, Jen, you're on the stack. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, it feels like every time we talk about inflation, we're saying we've hit a new four-decade high. I think we've said that several times over the past few months. Like Will said, it's the highest it's been since 1981. And every time we talk about inflation, I say this, but I have to say it again. I talk about those human stories, food, housing, cars, energy, consumer products. All of these prices are the highest they've been in some of our lifetimes, and that is very sad. And so I think that when we talk about Bitcoin possibly being an inflation hedge and Bitcoin possibly being something that could future-proof us if if we achieve that mainstream adoption, it's headlines like this that make me hope that even though Bitcoin isn't reacting to the news and the price isn't going up, it encourages people to learn about other ways to store their money that are not the US dollar. And so I hope that people are seeing these headlines and hearing these utterances in the news about Bitcoin possibly being an inflation hedge and are taking the chance to learn about Bitcoin and other ways to to store their money to protect themselves against what we're seeing. Will? Yeah, I need to fact check myself really quickly. So core inflation excludes food, like seasonal volatility from food and energy. And it was up 0.3% over the prior month. So difference in what I was saying there earlier, it's important to track that metric as well, because it, it takes into account things that a lot of people are using day to day. The second thing I want to riff on is just what David was saying about the idea like Bitcoin being this sort of inflation hedge for the future, like this idea that Bitcoin at some point will get there. I think that is important. But another thing to look at that's really important here is that Bitcoin's price is still over 30K. Like the meme used to be, this is the last time Bitcoin's over 10K. Uh, That was just a few years ago. Whenever Bitcoin broke over 10K, there was always so much excitement. A lot of people tweet about it. And then, of course, a few days later, it tumbled back down. And everyone say like, oh, we're wrecked. We're all bears. Like, this is all going to zero. Bitcoin's been over 30K for quite a while now. Last time it dipped below was in July of last year. And only dipped below it for like a few days at most. It might have even only been one evening. The fact that Bitcoin's price has been so high, consistently over $30,000, that's a ton of wealth in this ecosystem. And that number, I think, is what matters, like that 200-day moving average of where Bitcoin's price is at. That speaks to me more than saying, like, oh, wait, we have another all-time high. I don't think we're just going to get an all-time high because inflation numbers are up. What I'm looking at is saying this 200-day moving average is still going pretty steady. We're not dropping down. But let's jump over to the next topic. I think it's me. I got to say, I remember making fun of Will one time and saying how Bitcoin is a $10,000 stable coin. And he's like, 
Uh, you <laughs> you did that. say that. Oh, no, right. I am right. I, I wrecked, wrecked once again. All right. Wrecked Changing me. gears. Let's go to the world of venture capital. Let's talk about Circle. They are the issuer and administrator of the USDC stablecoin. It is the second largest stablecoin out there in the market behind Tether's USDT. Circle just raised $400 million from some big names, BlackRock and Fidelity being the big bold face names in the list of those plunking some serious cash into Circle. Notably, the thing that stood out here for me is that BlackRock says it's experimenting with the usage of USDC in capital markets. So not just an investor, but a strategic partner that may or may not be incorporating some of the benefits of transacting in stable coins into the world of Wall Street and what they do as the world's largest asset manager. So a couple of tidbits that stood out here. Circle, of course, is on its way to a SPAC deal that values it at $9 billion. Source of knowledge of the program said that uh, this funding round does not impact its valuation and that SPAC merger is on its way to completion, but not just yet. So anyway, lots going on here. I saw David's hand. I am going to throw it right to him. Yeah. People who, who watch the show a bit know that I am the insta bear. I throw cold water on this stuff all the time, but this looks really solid. Circle is very well positioned right now in terms of stable coins. Um, there's some regulatory risk. But if you look around the last couple of weeks, we've had really serious questions raised about what are known as algorithmic stable coins. These include Waves and now Terra. And USDC is a different kind of stable coin that is backed. They are at risk, I think, over the next couple of years of facing bank regulations, because that's essentially what a stable coin is. It's a bank. But barring that, as number two behind Tether, which a lot of people don't quite trust, USDC is very well positioned for the next five to 10 years, I think. And $9 billion, if it becomes the dominant stablecoin, BlackRock's getting a deal. That's my take here. I want to pick this up. This is super interesting. Circle has been such a brand within crypto. And at the same time, they haven't done very well on a lot of products, except yeah. for the stablecoin, which has done surprisingly well. I think a lot of people were bearish on Circle going into their debut of the stablecoin, and now it's kicking ass. Like It's doing very, very well. It's up there with USDT. And a lot of people were looking at stable coins and being like, this is really a winner-takes-all market. There's not going to be a rationale for another product out there besides USDT. Uh, because when you look at it, it's very similar to a security, very similar to a money market. And so nobody thought that anybody would be interested in investing in a product like this unless they were like okay with skirting around guidelines. And if you're okay skirting around guidelines, then Tether is the coin for you more so than not. But USDC went risky and they went with this product. They have not been slapped down with anything, uh, to my knowledge today, anything that would necessarily kill the product. But now you have BlackRock investing in you. Uh, this $400 million is a huge round. That puts you up with a lot of the exchanges that have done well this year. Uh, was it FTX did a $900 million round last year. There's been a lot of NFT rounds that have been this big, but this stablecoin round is definitely quite large. And this helps position themselves for a SPAC, IPO, or direct listing, whatever they want to do, which, of course, has long been rumored. Uh, so seeing something like this, it really tells you about Circle's leadership, the fact that they are willing to fail and fail and fail and then hit something and go with it and run with it. So credit to them and then credit to them for reading the market as well and noticing, hey, there is a place for a product that is not Tether and that investors are going to want to use that has more regulatory clarity. Yeah, I'm the mainstream cheerleader on the show. So I just thought it was really interesting to see Wall Street's big players really kind of back circle. I think this is a huge sign that if you're not paying attention to what's happening in crypto and what's happening with stable coins, that you should. 
I want to read a quote from COO Rob Goldstein and global head of ETFs and index investments, Salim Ramji. They said in a memo to clients, we believe digital assets and blockchain technologies are going to become increasingly relevant for BlackRock and our clients. So I don't know. I think I look forward to seeing what BlackRock has in the pipelines and what that means for them. But I think this is just, you know, great bullish news. Bullish or bearish, I or don't bullish. know, but it is interesting to think about stablecoins as being the vehicle for crypto native payment rails, right? You know, blockchain is payment rails and these things exist on various blockchains. Last count, I'm not sure how many USDC is on. It's on Ethereum, it's on some of the faster upstart chains. It's a way to transact value in an internet native way that is far quicker than traditional banking relationships would be, right? You know, try buying a stock through your brokerage account. It takes forever. You got to wait so long for the thing to get settled. This is a way that big players, and I think maybe even one day BlackRock and Fidelity could be settling trades at a much faster scale in a way that is transparent, auditable, and existing on a blockchain of their choice. So should these strategic partnerships bear fruit at some point in the near future? It is really interesting to think about what stablecoins and ultimately CBDC, central bank digital currencies, how those ultimately interact with the broader financial infrastructure that exists today. And I think having big names like Fidelity and big names like BlackRock, curious and maybe trying to learn more about how to incorporate it into their own operations. Super interesting beyond just the big number attached to this news. Actually, I think you kind of got it. I think that what I'd say here is this is almost not a crypto product in some ways. It technically exists on a blockchain, but these coins are basically centrally controlled. But if there's a good regulatory regime and there's some collaboration worldwide, yes, it becomes a, a super fast payments system that has some real advantages. So that's surprise to somebody who's been in crypto as long as me, but it does seem like this is an interesting new direction that we're going. Speaking of new directions, let's talk about Coinbase getting in the entertainment game. This one came what? across our desk yesterday. So Coinbase is going to produce a movie trilogy featuring the NFT project Bored Ape Yacht Club as part of the launch of their long-awaited NFT marketplace. The first film in the DGEN trilogy will premiere at NFT NYC in June, and the NFT community will have a say in the film's plot. So there is a component of the production of these movies where Bored Ape Yacht Club owners can submit their characters along with made-up character descriptions. And those character descriptions are going to be reviewed by a real-life Hollywood casting director. And then their NFTs can be featured in these movies. I have some thoughts, but Zach, I saw your hand go up there. So tell me, what do you got? I edited the story yesterday, and this did not occur to me at the time, but early internet people, remember the early days of YouTube? Does anyone remember the Yacht Rock series? Yacht Rock, the genre, it's, a, it's smooth old. music. And what Yacht Rock, the series did, I'm just remembering this now, is they made up imagined backstories of like Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald, you know, accidentally bumping into Warren G and like in integrating a sample from the Yacht Rock days into a modern day hit. So anyway, Zach, Zach, imagine backstory. I, I, I hate rock. to be this guy. Uh -oh, said, don't be it. this guy. Uh, this, is, this is a film produced by Coinbase. The CEO of Coinbase is a guy named Brian Armstrong. <laughs> and I just have to remind you that uh, water flows downhill and so does creativity. So I'll just leave it at that. 
Oh my goodness. Well, we'll didn't... see. They brought in someone from like the actual movie industry to like do stuff. I, I didn't realize that they had an entertainment department at Coinbase, but apparently they do. And apparently this is how they're making their big splash with Bored Apes. Yeah. <laughs> Wild that this is such a phenomenon in LA and Hollywood specifically. That picture on that story, I also learned this yesterday, is from a pop-up Bored Ape Yacht Club restaurant, a real place in Los Angeles where you can go to the Bored Ape restaurant. The yeah, idea I mean, that this is such a phenomenon in the world of entertainment is just like baffling. So Jen and Zach, y'all can correct me if I get any of this wrong, but you've hit on, I think, the key thing here, which is Bored Apes has this very unique setup where people who are holders of individual apes actually have at least some intellectual property rights to those characters. And that has the restaurant that you saw, that's possible because presumably somebody has licensed rights to specific characters to the operator of that restaurant. Um, whoever wins this competition at Coinbase is going to license their rights to the filmmakers. And it, it is really interesting from a crypto perspective, right? Because it is a sort of a decentralized ethos that you can go and create what you want with these resources. And I think that it has been a big driver of their success. I mean, whatever we want to say about the idea of a trilogy of films produced by Coinbase, the broader Board 8 project has been successful for, for the reason that this is possible, which is that they've opened up their IP in a really interesting way. That's more or less correct, right? Yeah. So the Board Ape Yacht Club owners, my understanding is they do own all commercial and non-commercial rights. So it will be interesting to see whose characters get into the film and how any revenues from the film trickle down to them. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but I think it's really interesting that they're launching this film project because remember when there was that massive headline about Brian Armstrong buying a $133 million mansion in LA and then we have all of these celebrities scooping up Ford Ape Yacht Club NFTs. And so if all of these people who are already operating in the entertainment industry can come together to make this film, it will be really interesting. I don't know if that will happen. It reminds me of, remember when Black Mirror launched the Bandersnatch episode and it was an episode that you can interact with and choose your own ending. And then we never saw Black Mirror do an episode like that again. I would love to see the data behind that and how many people actually participated. How many people actually want to participate in making the film and TV that they see? Like, don't we just want to relax and unplug from this crazy world that we live in? I don't know. I have in two minds about it. I remember reading a headline that was like, you know, this episode of Black Mirror is exactly what Black Mirror is warning us against. So I don't know. It will be interesting to see to see if this works and how people receive it. My only thought on this is that my bearish NFT take from before we even started the show, like right when we started February 2021, was that NFTs were stupid and that just keeps going downhill. Now they're making little movies about it. So I think I need to not opine on anything <laughs> about like assets anymore because it just keeps getting worse for me. Can I just it would remind be really you that on our you first show, you still had that take? And I was like, I don't really know about NFTs. Please, somebody <laughs> tell me. And now look, look where we are. Yeah. A whole year later. Well, we're still both on the show. You're not on a yacht right now. So <laughs> if your prior is that markets are rational, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> we could make an inverse Foxley fund and everything that Will says, <laughs> we could bet the opposite and Against? then we could be on the yacht, you know? Then we could yeah. be on the yacht and we could be off the hash. What do you think? You yeah. can't. Cool. Well, but then, off the hash well, then and you onto might, the yacht. Mm, I don't know. Interesting. We'll see. Do you think <laughs> NFTs really can be like the engagement vehicle that Hollywood wants it to be? We've seen Mila Kunis. We've seen, I, I think, know. like the Rick and Morty creators. There's all sorts of people 
uh, Kevin Smith is trying to make a movie with NFTs and involving people's input who have those NFTs. So sort of these like token gated communities, interesting to see if they'll click at Hollywood scale. All right, let's change gears. I think I'm saucing it to David. David, take it away. Yeah, so we have an interesting pair of stories. We have first, we're seeing the Coindesk right now. Coindesk has listed a, let's call it a potpourri, Coinbase. Sorry, that's uh, my bad. Coinbase listing potpourri of dried flake, because that's what potpourri is made of. Really some random student coin wrapped Algorand. Just a random list, like somebody threw darts at a dartboard. While on the other hand, we have Robinhood listing four new assets, SHIB, Solana, uh, Matic, and Compound, which are all, you know, relatively okay real assets, even Shiba, surprisingly. So I just think it's an interesting contrast when an exchange like Coinbase lists this kind of stuff. It's pretty obvious that what they're doing is just seeking that trading volume and fees. Uh, at any cost, and they don't necessarily uh, really care about their customers. It's my takeaway here. Will, I'd like to throw it to you. What do you make of this just rampant listing of just whatever is on the board by Coinbase? The notorious Crypto Cobain, who now goes under the name Kobe, tweeted about this this morning. Uh, He was going through some of these listings and went through some wallet addresses and found that a few of these addresses had a lot of purchase orders right before this blog went out, which makes you wonder who knew about this and who made money about it. Uh, the first thing I'm curious about is how similar these standards are to exchanges that are like the big time players. So thinking NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, maybe something in Germany, stuff like that, or Canada, Toronto Stock Exchange. Like how do they go about the listing process and how do these exchanges go about the listing process? I have a feeling NASDAQ isn't publishing a blog post before they are going to list an asset. They more or less go to the SEC and there's some back and forth dialogue before they go and do these things. I mean, often you do see some of these smaller ticker stock pump right before they get listed, things like that. That's always going to happen because you're bringing an asset to a market where once it exists, there's more liquidity involved and people can get access to that asset for the first time. But this just looks rough. Like... David, just what you're saying, there's just like a line of a bunch of random letters all over the place. You're like, what? I've never even heard of this token before. I don't think anyone at Coinbase has necessarily heard about it. They're just like (laughs) throwing stuff at the wall, trying to get some revenue nowadays. Like it looks bad. And Coin, which is the ticker for Coinbase, I think it's on the NASDAQ, might be New York Stock Exchange. Coin hasn't done well since its IPO, really, or its direct lifting, rather. It's down, like it's not doing great. It seems to be related stock price because Coinbase gets revenue derived from the trading of assets. And if they are not getting enough revenue, maybe there's an incentive to push more crap onto their retail players. Zach, throw it up to you. Yeah, I mean, this is not new from Coinbase, right? They've made this known that they want to list every asset under the sun as quickly as possible. It's a complete 180 from what Coinbase used to be, remember? Coinbase used to be very meticulous about which assets it listed. It didn't list many in the start. And when some new asset hit Coinbase, that was a big deal. And various token tribes you know, celebrated that moment loudly. There's some real duds on here. And there's some real weird charts of these coins. And I think Kobe and other internet sleuths are doing a fantastic job putting that on Twitter, right? You see these ICO era coins that are up here and then are just down and flatlined. Why that makes sense to add, other than sort of defending consumer choice, I don't know. 
But when you're the crypto casino and you make money on every transaction, it behooves you to list as many tokens as possible. It's something that Binance saw huge success with in its run-up to being the world's largest exchange by trading volume. And it's something that Coinbase has sought to emulate with a variety of assets. So that they're actualizing this here is striking to see, but it's not necessarily a deviation from what they've been saying even before their public listing on the NASDAQ stock exchange last April. So interesting to see it. And you know, as it relates to some of these accounts that have seemingly benefited immensely from these initial listing bumps, you know, there may be some speculation out there that there's, I don't know, leaky endpoint, something where people are viewing and scraping websites for alpha. People in this space will go to great lengths to find material non-public information that they can act on, potentially profit from. So there could be something on that. Hey, it could just be insider trading, but time will tell if anything comes out. But there's certainly people who are looking on-chain, seeing that there's some addresses with some very, very sus trades before this was announced. Jen, I saw your hand. I'll throw it to you. And then I think David has a point as well. Yeah, just really quickly. I just wonder what the plan is. Should all of these random tokens get listed, whether they're good or they're bad, what the PR plan is for when people who trust Coinbase, they trust the brand, they think it's a place where they can go to invest their money and, and not see any real downside because Coinbase hasn't really been a part of any major scandal or, or hack. When something goes wrong with one of these coins, I just wonder what is going to happen to the trusted Coinbase brand. And I'm not saying that something will go wrong. I just wonder with such a long list of coins and with no real process to evaluating which coin should be there or not. I don't know. I just, yeah. I wonder. That was a whole lot of nothing, but I think you guys get the point. You know, consumer choice versus consumer protection, right? There's got to be some sweet spot. I don't know if this was it, but uh, it's certainly sort of the bigger picture in which I sort of yeah. situate some of these conversations. And hey, if I want to trade student coin, why the hell shouldn't I be able to trade student coin? Maybe the dumbest thing that one could possibly do, probably you don't want to go out and trade student coin. But if I want to, hey, why shouldn't I be able to turn to Coinbase to do that? Marketplaces in general, I mean, it's totally defensible. List whatever you want. However, there are two issues here. One is that Coinbase, to my knowledge, has still not resolved the issue of whether or not it's providing trading and securities. And as it expands its portfolio, it just increases the chance that one of these is at some point going to be officially determined to be a security, which then is, I believe, legal risk for Coinbase. The second point that I'll make, and I hate to end on such a downer, but if this is what they're doing to try and juice their trading volumes, this is the end of the road, right? Like, what do you do after this drop of, frankly, garbage? There is no bottom beyond the bottom of the barrel. I think if you're a Coinbase stockholder, this is a very worrying announcement. NFT marketplace, new depths. Well, All right. okay, that could prove me wrong, actually. There you go. All right. We will leave it on that down, up, medium note. It was good either way. I liked it. All right. Thanks for tuning in. I'm about to promo our podcast. Look at that. The Hash Weekdays on the Coindesk Podcast Network. It's the Hash for your ears. All the great insight. You can listen to it wherever you go. On the go, in the car, on the train, what have you. Thanks for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow with more. You are watching... Coindesk TV. I am Zach. That is Will. There's David. And there's Jen. We wish you a good Tuesday and we'll see you again on Wednesday. Thanks so much. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.